Hello, everybody. Um, today on the podcast, you're going to hear from Kyle Wade and Chip Chambers and Vic Doss as they continue through Ecclesiastes. Um, we almost made it all the way through this week without any interruptions with the microphone, but uh, we only missed about 15 seconds, hopefully. <laughs> so um, we have a plan to get it fixed for next time, so hopefully that won't happen again. Um, but thanks for bearing with us as we figure all this out. A couple quick announcements. We have our next house party coming up the Thursday before spring break, so be on the lookout for that. Um, more information will be on our social media at Wadi College. Be on the lookout for our midweek podcast that Caroline Head puts out um, midway through the week. <laughs> Y'all have a good day. Let's somebody get us out of this. Okay. Hey, I'm going to be really brief, but I just wanted to share something for the sake of like college ministry from Ephesians. So if you guys would turn to Ephesians 4 really quickly, Ephesians 4.11. And I'm going to be, and I keep saying I'm going to be really brief so that I'm held accountable by the mass of people in this room. Uh, Ephesians 4.11. And just while you're turning for context, Ephesians, the first half is all about the beauty of the gospel, how God chose a people to be adopted as his sons and daughters. Uh, And then the way Ephesians ends in the second half is, okay, here's how beautiful and amazing and awesome Jesus is. Walk like him, talk like him, act like him. And I just wanted to point to this text specifically, 410, uh, sorry, yeah, 411, uh, and just say something in college ministry. I just, I just wanted to say, on one hand, just know that pastors and elders are a really good gift, and that's what this text is trying to say. It, it's not saying they're infallible. It's not saying they're perfect, that their word, you know, but, but it is saying they're a good gift. It talks like, do you see that poem above where it says, he, he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men? It's comparing Jesus to someone who like ransacked a city and then gave spoils to his soldiers. And it's talking about him ascending to heaven and then giving the gift of the apostles, the shepherds, the evangelists. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And just what I wanted to say to all of you is just know, God. and this isn't me bragging on Vic, this is me just... Bible saying, love your elders, be thankful for them, encourage this man every chance you get. You don't know how much time he spends just reading the text so that he can preach it faithfully, you know? So just know this, that his word is not infallible, but he is the magnifying glass that's trying to help you see the scripture. So use him, thank him. But also, to flip the table on you, It says the reason God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Mm -hmm. The work of ministry was given to all of the saints, all believers, the normal Christian. So just know that the people who stand on stage in churches like this are not the ones ultimately doing the work of ministry. They're the ones equipping you to do the work of ministry. So labor faithfully. We talk about going to Boston. We talk about going to Nepal. We talk about... We, we don't want to send people who go and don't know what it means to labor and do the work of ministry. So do it here faithfully. Be equipped. So when we teach and preach, whatever, just know Ecclesiastes is hard. Uh, huh. Listen to the Bible. Yeah. Like, if you don't see it from what we're saying, you don't have to buy it. You know, let us make clear what the text is saying. See what the Lord is saying. And just be thankful. Again, I just, I just want to brag on Vic. That, that is part of this. But be thankful for shepherds. Had be I known a, this was your intent. That's why I didn't tell you exactly it. what I was saying. Uh, 
And then, again, on you, be equipped. So when we teach, when we preach, grab the sword from the text and use it to serve the Lord. It's like it's for you to serve. It's for you to do the work of ministry. And one of the ways you could do ministry is help us with this terrible sound. If you're a sound person, see Joel immediately, like right now. <laughs> um, thank you, And Kyle. these microphones, yeah. Can I, we were can talking I, about how we look like 90s pop stars. With it. You especially, Vic. Like, an, like legitimately, like an old one. Yeah, yeah. I mean that in the most endearing yeah, way Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's all vanity. Yeah. Speaking of which. Yeah. If you will, flip to Ecclesiastes 4. <laughs> yes, for Eccle- us. yes. Um, can I read the text and then pray for us? Please. All right. Give you all a second to turn there. Buckle up. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after win. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him and the threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after one. Father, we are faced with the realities of a difficult text uh, that make us confront uh, death make us confront relationships, make us confront injustice and oppression. Uh, These can make us really uncomfortable. And there's some parts of this text we would kind of like to skip over. Would you teach us to submit to your word, to what it is saying, to read it faithfully, uh, to internalize it in our hearts uh, in such a way that it might lead us to a humble submission of you, uh, understanding that you make everything beautiful in its time. that we might ultimately love you more and seek to serve you more fully. Uh, Help us up here be faithful to this text today as we seek to apply your word to our our lives. Thank you for the goodness of Jesus um, and for your Holy Spirit that uh, enlightens our eyes as we read your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as always, feel free at any point to text uh, any questions you have. Uh, We do reserve the right to answer your question at a later date, Uh, but we'll try to get to it today if you have a question. Before we kind of 
start hammering on the text a little bit, I want to remind us that it is important to read the book of Ecclesiastes within the context of all wisdom literature. Anybody right? remember the other books of the wisdom literature? Oh, it's a test. Job's Proverbs. They muttered them. That counts. So that's good. Yeah, yeah that's Man, good. I got all of them. Job Proverbs. So in particularly, read Ecclesiastes in the context of uh, Proverbs and Job. Uh, we talk about Proverbs being a little bit like the, the rule I before E, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the rule. There are some exceptions, right? So Proverbs is basically... Uh, uh, Chip has said it this way, uh, just keep your nose clean, do the right thing, it'll go well for you. So that's Proverbs. And then Job's, Job's over here going, ah, uh, no, that doesn't always happen. Um, or actually, Ecclesiastes says that doesn't always happen. Job says it too. And Job, and, just, and Job just goes, hey, I got the t-shirt, bro. Yeah. Uh, I made the T-shirt. I made, yes, I, I actually I was the, the guy that like kept my nose clean, worked hard, had a great GPA, and lost it all. Lost everything. Yeah. And uh, so it's important to keep that in your mind. So all of wisdom literature is written to to help us. And today, I think in particular. Um, It'll help us as we think through, I think, largely what Solomon's trying to do in this section of Ecclesiastes is talk about how we relate to other people. And um, there's a guy named Henry Cloud, who's a Christian counselor, who wrote a book, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember the name of the book. But in it, he says there's basically three kinds of people. Uh, Evil, foolish, and wise. And evil people... Uh, hate truth, refuse to change, and they just cause harm to others. So that's evil people. Foolish people uh, just want to argue about the truth and uh, don't want to change, and they're just stuck. The wise person loves truth, wants to be taught truth, and is willing to change and conform their lives to truth. So it's three kinds of people, right? And... um, Flip to Proverbs 24. I want to show you something. So we just read this text. I, I think Proverbs 24 gives us a picture of those three kinds of people. So Solomon, and if you read Proverbs 24, you're, you'll hear some language that sounds very familiar to Ecclesiastes. He opens 24 with, Do not envy wicked men. Do not desire their company, for their hearts plot violence. Their lips talk about making trouble. That's, that's somebody that hates truth. And they're just out to just wreak havoc in the world and look out for number one. Uh, verse 5, if you skip down to verse 5, a wise man has great power, a man of knowledge increases strength. Um, verse 7, wisdom is too high for a fool. Verse 8, he talks about the evil person again. Uh, verse 16, the wicked are brought down by calamity. Verse 19, do not fret because of evil men. Uh, the evil man has no future hope in verse 20. Um, if you look at uh, the end of Proverbs 24, I applied my heart. Who does that sound like? Right? Solomon. I applied my heart to what I observed. I learned a lesson from what I saw, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Mm. That, that's the fool. And, and we... 
we're going to see as we work through the text, Solomon actually references the fool folding his hands to do nothing and laziness. And so in, in the context of this chapter, you see those three people on display here. So when, when he says, I looked and I saw that oppression was taking place under the sun, I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressor. Um, that, that is, there's evil in the world, right? We have to acknowledge that. Not anymore. Yeah, we don't have any of that anymore. Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. There's no injustice anymore. Yeah, no, no power imbalance or anything like that. That was sarcasm. You're allowed. Yeah, to you're right. Yeah. yeah. People are I think like, most people is are he fluent, serious? <laughs> Does he not read the news? And it's Solomon's looking at it and he goes, man, here's, here's how bad it is. Right? Uh, the dead are happier than the living. There's so much oppression. You're better off dead. Or who's even better off is those who haven't even been born. Yeah. So they haven't experienced it at all. That's, that's how bad the oppression is from Solomon. Now, remember, Solomon's writing this. He's an old dude who's getting ready to pick out his casket, and he's looking back over his life at this is what I've seen, this is what I've learned. So th this idea of oppression and evil existing um, is real. Yeah. It's at least 3,000 years <coughs> old, right? Because yeah. that's how old this book is. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think this is really helpful for us. Let's look at what he's saying. He says he's seen people who are crying. They're so oppressed. There's nobody to comfort them. And the oppressors still have the power. And he's been watching this over and over again. And I, I just sat down for a minute and I'm thinking back, just like stepping back, looking at our globe. We've got problems with human trafficking, problems with sexual assault, problems with abortion, domestic violence, like hunger all over the world. Uh, refugee crises. What do all of those have in common? The people who are in need don't have the power. Like there, yeah. there are people who have power and then there are people who are oppressed and it's staying that way. And it, it just kind of weighs on you. Like I don't know about y'all, but it, sometimes you really try and make a difference in this world and you just feel like you're bumping up against something that will not budge. And I think that's what Solomon's addressing here. And to give you a little bit of window, one thing we've been wrestling with uh, as a teaching team throughout this entire book is whether Ecclesiastes is trying to give us advice and say like, hey, I've looked at how to live. Here's a couple suggestions. <laughs> and there's a couple of those right here. But there is just this undertone of like, <sighs> like the whole time. And he doesn't even really try to address it. So one thing that we're going is like, whoa, wasn't Solomon the king? Like, wasn't Solomon the guy who oversaw the judicial system? Like, if anyone could address the oppression, it would be Solomon. And he's just kind of throwing up his hands. And so we've wrestled with this a lot. And this is, again, where I think the wisdom literature is helpful for us here. Um, so flip, in my Bible, it's literally one page, Proverbs 31. There's more in there than just a biblical woman. Uh, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The Bible's not ambiguous on this. Where there's a power imbalance, we stick up for the oppressed. Okay, like it's in Isaiah 1, it's in Isaiah 58, uh, it's in James 2. The Bible is so clear on this, okay? We stick up for the poor. What Solomon's saying, though, here is under the sun in this broken world, 
there is going to be a limit to how much justice we can bring on this earth and, and what he wants. What he does in these verses is he just lets that sit on us. And uh, I'm not going to resolve that tension right now because he doesn't resolve that tension. And so I just want us to feel the reality of injustice in a broken, groaning world. Yeah, the Bible speaks to injustice, like Chip's saying. So just, just know that it's not like the Lord's not speaking to these things, spoken to those things. So if you see a lack of application in Ecclesiastes, it's not because the Lord doesn't care. So don't hear that. And don't think that, oh, no, really, those who are not born aren't, are better off. Like, the, be asking the Lord as we're reading this, like, Lord, why is Ecclesiastes written? And I feel like a huge part of it is he wants to depress you and hurt you to the point where you sympathize those who are really hurting mm -hmm. and who don't That's see right. hope. Mm -hmm. And in a very practical way, you look at the world and say, okay, ultimately if we didn't have Jesus and we followed everything to its logical end, it really is kind of hopeless. You know, it's like, so, so let him take you there. You know, don't, again, don't hear this and say, be like Solomon and mm -hmm. overlook oppression. Just because he's the wisest man doesn't mean he did the wisest things. You know, like, right. hear what the Lord is saying <laughs> through in, this In, in some sense, he's the world's wisest fool. Yeah. Uh, and um, this idea that Ecclesiastes lays on us in a lot of places, mm -hmm. not, not just here, but... Um, Ecclesi you may read through the book of Ecclesiastes and go, why in the world is this in the Bible? <laughs> right? It feels like Kurt Cobain should have written this. There were like four chuckles. Like, like three then, people have that on, their, on a hidden Spotify uh, playlist. Uh, they, <laughs> they have, never mind. Look it up. Uh... One of the great live albums ever, by the way. You uh, can't endorse that from stage. I just did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't. Not that I can't. Wisdom. I, I Wisdom, shouldn't. folly. Yeah. If I can add one reminder real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Please do. Yeah. When we're, we've t we spent a lot of time talking about the word hevel and meaningless. So just put that in the back of your mind again. That like It's really tempting when you're reading this to see purposeless or without reason or completely pointless and, and I know we've already told you that but like I've accidentally done that multiple times reading like try, so just again think vapor it's temporary yes. it's fleeting it's elusive that's that's what's trying to say like, like paradoxical sense, yeah. like without ultimate value yeah. it's not saying like not worth your time it's saying like you're not going to find ultimate fulfillment right in it's this. it's um a vapor or smoke really is a great, if you think about it, if you're, next time you're around a campfire, try to reach out and grab smoke. Elusive. It's very elusive. Yeah. And it's also hard to define. Yeah. Right? That, that's what Solomon is saying. Life is vapor. That's what it, that's the literal word is vapor. And so uh, I, I think the reason Ecclesiastes is in the Bible, this is where, before I got off on Kurt Cobain, this is why it's in there. Because you read it and you're like, well, there's some wisdom. Oh, this is meaningless. It's put in the Bible to give you this longing for something better. Right? You, you read through Ecclesiastes and you go, well, that was exhausting. I, I need some hope. I'm hungry and thirsty for something better. And that's something better. We know, because we're on this side of the cross, we know that something better is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself uh, says on one occasion, someone greater than Solomon is here. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about himself. 
He, he is the fulfillment of every promise in Scripture. Every deep longing of the human heart is found in Jesus. And Ecclesiastes is meant to wake some of that up in us and to shake us and go, man, this, uh, if I don't have Jesus, this is a miserable world. Right? If there is no hope of resurrection, as Paul says, we, we are to be pitied more than anyone. And so that, that's one of the reasons Ecclesiastes is actually in the Bible, I think. is I think it may be the primary reason, is just to point us to, man, there's got to be something better than mm-hmm. life under this sun, just mm-hmm. this life. Um, so let's, let's work down and kind of talk about these, um, these three kinds of people as we see them. So uh, you get to verse 4, I saw all labor and achievement spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. You... you you, um, you're envious of your neighbor, and so you're going to, that, that's, you're going to be covetous, you're going to look out for number one, uh, this too is meaningless, this is a chasing after the wind, it's not, you're not going to find fulfillment in it. Mm-hmm. And then he, you, I was going to say, do you remember in chapter two, how like we admitted like, there is some good in toil, but yeah. it's like a concession, like there's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So, so again, he conceded, like, there's something good in it, but it is all vanity. And, then, and even here he's saying, and even the, even the good that's in toil, it's all done out of competition anyway. You know, so it's like yeah. it's an additional side that's saying, yeah. like, even something good. So what, what's us. the difference between, we've seen it a couple times, a person who enjoys his toil, and then this person in uh, verse 4 who, whose toil and skill is coming from envy, and verse 6, their toil is a striving after wind. What, what's the difference between someone who enjoys their toil and someone whose toil is vanity? I think the difference in the three categories of people comes down to this. It's your heart, right? You're the, the evil person, again, has a heart that just hates truth, right? Um, they, they, don't, they have no desire to conform their life to truth. Right? That's a heart issue. The, the foolish people, all, all they want to do is argue about truth and try to get around, you know, throw their hands up in the air. They don't want to be, they don't, they're just lazy a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Right? And don't want to, they're just stuck. That's foolish people. The wise person's heart is a heart that is inclined toward truth, that loves truth, that wants to be taught, wants to be corrected. I think that's the primary difference, particularly when you look at, well, let's just, let's just let the text tell us. So verse 5, the fool folds his hands, mm-hmm. right? So think of the foolish person as being uh, two ditches on a road, all right? This is one ditch. Fool folds his hands, does nothing. This is a lazy person, does nothing, mm-hmm. Right? You end up with nothing to, you know, you, you can't offer anything to the world. You're not just lazy in a work sense, but you're lazy relationally, emotionally. You're, ju- you're just lazy, mm-hmm. right? You fold your hands. You just kind of, eh, that's, that's, a, that's a fool. Mm-hmm. If you, we're, we're going to come back to verse 6, all right? Um, verses 8 through, uh, well, verse 8. Yeah. There was a man who was all alone, had neither son nor brother. He just, this is a workaholic. This is also a fool. This is a fool who's on in the other ditch, if you will, right? Um, so two extremes. Two extremes. Yeah. 
foolishness has two extremes. Laziness, don't do anything. Workaholic, you're, you're empty and alone because you do everything. Both of those are foolish. Solomon gives us a hint of, this is wisdom in verse um, 6. Better one handful with tranquility or peace than two handfuls with toil. So the two handfuls with toil is the guy in the ditch alone. He's got a lot of stuff, but he ain't got any friends or family or relationships, right? That's one fool. The other fool's got nothing because he's just folding his hands. The wise man works hard, has stuff, and with the other hand, serves and loves friends, family, people. And, and we're going to get to some of those relationships in verses uh, 9 through 12. Right, of, of how, why the relationships are put in your life and what kind of gift they are and what purpose they serve. Yeah. But yeah. verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. The hands are not folded, they're working, right. but they're not chasing after yeah. something that's not there. So, so there's actually three different Hebrew words for hands going on here in verses 5 and 6. So when it says the fool folds his hands, that first one, is, it's a word for like uh, elbow to finger, kind of doing this number. So kind of like this, right? So that's the fool. Uh, the person, the two hands full of toil is clenched fist. So, I mean, I'm talking straining. Wow. That's two hands full of toil. Uh, but the handful of quietness, anyone want to guess what the posture of that hand is? Right here. You got it. Exactly. Right there. So, so that's some nuance that we lose once we go to English here. And they, they try to get at it by saying like handfuls and things like that. But I think this is the posture that we need to pursue. The fool on one hand, hand is so self-indulgent, he just sits here and does it. Let me, let me kind of paint this picture. That, like we need to, anytime we read this wisdom literature, we need to say, is that me? So like, look at your life. Are you lazy? Like, are you the type of person who other people have to support you and carry you because you are just self-indulgent and you're like, uh, you know, I don't really care. You have nothing to contribute to the people around you, like the relationships in verses 9 through 12, because you're just like hanging. Or are you the workaholic who is always striving after something? And you're like, you're, gr you're burning the midnight oil. It says there's no end to this person's toil, uh, but their eyes are never satisfied with riches. And this, I think, this is really interesting about a workaholic. He never asks, why am I doing this? Like, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Workaholics never actually step back and go, why am I working 90-hour weeks? <laughs> and like, 90, you might be the middle person to work a 90-hour week. I don't, I don't know. I think Vic is saying, you're right, it's the heart. Yeah. But the hallmark trait of both of these people is that they're going to sacrifice relationships. Yeah. And we'll see that in 9 through 12. Yeah. Uh, so just look, have you alienated people around you with laziness or workaholism? Because both of those are vanity, especially workaholism. You isolate people and then it's like, what, <laughs> what good do you get for it? I eventually, uh, it all goes away. Yeah, verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Like the problem is not, it's not necessarily the hours or the work, the work, God made work. It's what are they striving after? They're striving after wind. They're, they're going after something they're never going to attain. Mm -hmm. They're trying to put their hands full of something that will not fill them. And, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's important to point out we're created as relational beings, right? We, God created Adam and he, you know, he creates the whole world. You go, everything can be traced 
ultimately back to Genesis, right? When God creates this giant playground we know as the universe, and he creates the world and the Garden of Eden and all the animals, and he has Adam in there, and he looks at Adam, and he goes, it is not good for that cat to be alone. That is just bad. I'm going to make somebody for him. So he makes Eve, and so created to be in community, right? We're created for relationship, ultimately. Relationship with one another, relationship with God, and, and work. <laughs> That's also in the garden. Those things are supposed to be in harmony. And what happens at the fall is it just completely gets disrupted mm. and broken, and you end up with Ecclesiastes, mm. right? We, I've said this before. Ecclesiastes is what happens when you wake up in a Genesis 5 world, mm. right, where death reigns. Mm. And, and so don't, don't just kind of blow over this going, what's in this for me? You should really kind of look at it and what's in this for us. Mm. We, we're in community and relation with other people. This isn't, I think sometimes there's a danger for us, and I think you, we should ask the question, is this me? Not, but don't end there. Is, is this me and how is it affecting others? Right. And, and that's the hallmark trait of these three positions is how do you relate to your neighbor? Yeah. So the yeah. lazy person is apathetic towards his or her neighbors. Uh, yeah. The, the workaholic is envious. Like we see uh, apparently envy of neighbor is driving the workaholism's uh, like toil and striving. Ultimately, it's just I, I, w- I don't want to be good. I want to be at the top. Yeah. Like I want to be on top of everyone. I want to go to a great school because that puts me on top or, or great job because that puts me on top. So, Apathy towards neighbors, envy towards neighbors, or compassion towards neighbors. And that's what we see with this person in the middle, is they have one hand working and one hand free to then apply verses 9 through 12. And, and the reason you want to be that person, right? And, and work, again, that's a genesis created in the image of God to build, create, cultivate, work, and relationship. But here are the benefits of having healthy relationships. I think uh, Solomon gives those to us here. Uh, for example, when he, when he says uh, in verse 8, who am I working for? Why do I have all of this stuff? Well, one of the reasons you have all that stuff is you need to be able to share with other people, right? And give, be a giving person. One of the benefits of healthy, wise relationships is this. You get to give your stuff away. Mm. Right? Uh, this will become obvious when you're a parent or, or when you get married. One of the great joys you will have will be giving things to your kids. Right? And so one of the benefits of, of having healthy, wise relationships is this. You, you get to share it with other people what you've worked for, right? You're not, the, listen to what the guy with two hands full of stuff is saying. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the enjoyment? The giving is part of the enjoyment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a second uh, benefit of healthy, wise relationships is this, is service, right? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. Here, here's a question to ask. Who are you helping? 
And who are you allowing to serve and help you? Right? It's, sometimes we get so caught up in this, well, I'm going to serve people, that we don't actually allow other people to serve us. That's, that's kind of foolish. Right? You're depriving people of something God's gifted them to do. Um, and then I'll, I'll give you the other two and then let you guys speak to it. The, the third benefit is comfort. Mm. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can one keep uh, warm alone? Comfort. Healthy, wise relationships should bring some comfort when, you're, when you need it. Right? Who are you comforting? Who are you allowing to bring comfort to you? And then the fourth thing is protection. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You, we live in community to protect each other. There's accountability in healthy, wise relationships. Who's protecting you? Who are you helping to protect? Those are the benefits of, of actual wise, healthy relationships. And so, I don't know if you guys... Anything to add there? Yeah, and just know that like as much as this text is talking about different travesties happening and different oppressions happening, there is a theme of comfort and company of people. Like even in the first part, I saw the oppressions are done to the sun. Behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Uh, on the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. It even says like even the oppressors are lonely. You know, like it yeah. it's acknowledging that no one has comfort and no one has someone to be there for it. And then it talks about work and how there's a posture where you're not working for others or with others mm. so it's like just know like this this whole text is like emphasizing this thing about people and company mm. so. yeah I, w I watched a ted talk because um, i'm an intellectual this past week <laughs> <laughs> by a guy named i Will love the Bruno. lack of pretension yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> hevel uh <laughs> by a guy named rick elias I, I would actually highly recommend the ted talk it's only like five minutes uh, and this guy was on the plane that landed in the Hudson River. Do y'all remember that? Uh, Sully, Sully. Like, Matt Lance's plane. And he tells this incredible story of for 90 seconds knowing he was going to die. Like if you just study the physics of it, planes don't make that landing. He had flown enough, he knew, I'm going to die. And he has all these thoughts in his mind, closes his eyes, braces for impact, opens his eyes, and he's still alive. And he says, I was given this wonderful gift of basically knowing I was going to die, seeing my entire life in light of that, which is a theme we've seen all throughout Ecclesiastes, and he realized a couple things. And one of the things he learned, and I, I love this phrase, and I think it's so in line with the heart of 9 through 12 here. He says, now I collect bad wines, which means um, not endorsing alcohol from the stage, but hypothetically, you know, if you are into wine, uh, he's saying that if I have good wine at my house and I have a good friend over, I'm drinking it right then. I'm not keeping the good wine in the cellar because I don't know how much longer I have. So he's like, if you go to my cellar, there's not any good wine down there. It's all my worst wine because I'm not, I'm not saving the good wine for a that's, later day. That's and I think that's kind of the heart of 9 through 12 here is in light of our mortality and the brokenness of this world, there is a joy to be found in company. So, you know, are, are you toiling, saving all your great wine or your great experiences uh, or your great memories for a later day? Or are you enjoying the company that you have around you right now? All right, a couple of really good questions here. And I'm going to mash them into one. Um, so they're related to work life, relationships, the tension between those two. 
Um, and, and one basically says advice to a college student who is thinking about future, graduation, getting a job, etc. Hear this, if you don't hear anything else. You need to choose mission over marketplace. You hear me? Mission over marketplace. This is what I mean. What, do, what are you living for? Don't, don't just live for a check, right? Because honestly, if you haven't learned anything from Solomon, learn this. Somebody else is going to end up with it. Right? Mission brings purpose. What are, you, what are you living for? Ultimately, are you living for the glory of God and his kingdom and his honor and his fame spreading? Now, you can do that and make a lot of money. Right? Don't ever put marketplace over mission. Right? And you could, you could put a lot of things there. Choose mission over mascot. That one may hurt. That may hit a little closer to home. Right? Mission matters. Your life, what are you pouring your life out for? That, that's, you get that settled at this age, you're way ahead of the game. All right? That'll help you keep everything else in balance. Be because Jesus, nobody lived a more balanced life than Jesus. Hmm. And if you read through the Gospels, you, you see Jesus in situations where it's unbelievably hectic. And crazy crowds are around him, and it's insane the pressure that's on him. But he never seems frazzled because right? he knew his mission. Because he's on mission, he knows yeah. where he's going, mm -hmm. and he knows who's in control. And so that I know that's a real vague answer, but I'm just just park that in the back of your mind somewhere, and you figure out what yeah. what it means to put mission. Over marketplace. I, I'll tell you where this text has hit me as someone who for years has been in the thick of like, oh, I want to go to a great grad school or something. I don't think I ever asked myself the question in verse 8, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? I just patted myself on the back for the late nights I spent in the library. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, great, I have a work ethic. And I never asked that question. So like, you know, if you're working long hours, ask yourself that question. Why am I doing this? And is it like, should I close the book? and go throw the frisbee? Like, the answer might be yes. The answer might be no. Chris is like, 3 p.m., Kermit C. Michael, <laughs> yeah, frisbee. If you need, if you need um, to play frisbee, see that guy in the back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but the answer might be toil. Uh, like, Jesus toiled and deprived himself yes. of pleasure because he knew the joy that was set before him, but he, he, he at least knew the answer to the question. So if you've never asked yourself that question, like, why am I working so hard? That might be something worth asking That's yourself. Good. So I, I want to, I don't want to, I'm going to talk about the last few verses, 13 through uh, 16. It, it contrasts the foolish old king and the wise young king. Uh, there's no expiration date on foolishness, right? You can be old and a fool. You can be young and a fool. You can be young and wise. You can be old and wise. Again, they're character traits of foolish and wise people, and it's always about the heart. Let, let me show you. I, I don't know if, I don't think we've talked about this cat yet, but Chronicles 10. Which Chronicles? 
Second Chronicles, I'm sorry. You're good. You know, in the original text, they weren't broken into two books. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not. I just, it sounded believable, though, didn't it? I can give you my intellectual card <laughs> if you want. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we've, the train is running off the tracks quickly. So Rehoboam is a guy who is the offspring of Solomon. He follows Solomon, right? So he has been put on the throne, and the people are complaining. All right, in Second Chronicles 10, so they sent for Jeroboam, and he went down to Israel, and all Israel went to him and said, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor, this is verse 4, and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So the people are saying, look, your dad was a hard man. You're in charge now, lighten up on us. And so Rehoboam does a really smart thing. Come back to me in three days. Verse 6, Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served with his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. So he gathers the old dudes around him and says, how would you advise me? They replied, well, if you'll be kind, this is good advice. If you'll be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. That's good advice from wise people. Verse 8, Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked, what's your advice when they say, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, uh, in verse 11, say this to them, my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will make it even heavier. I'm going to show you who the man is. You think dad was bad? Let me show you something. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Like they give him the advice. This is the dumbest thing in the world. The people are already unhappy. Make them unhappier. Right? This is what happens. He does that. The kingdom splits. Young fool. You think about all the irony in Ecclesiastes. Who's, will a fool inherit what I've left them? The answer for Solomon is yes. yes. And he's going to squander it all. He's going to squander it all. It's yeah. about the heart. Rehoboam's heart is so hard and wired toward him being the man that he can't even hear good advice when it's in front of him. Right? The, the, the wise guys said to him, Listen to the people. You need to lighten up on them. And they'll, they'll follow you. And he goes, eh. Let me get my buddies around me and see what they say. They're like, nah, crush them. Right? And, it, and the kingdom splits. So this, this idea of just because you're old, you're wise, not necessarily true. It's about heart. It's about what's, who's sitting on the throne. What are, you, are you willing to submit yourself to truth and wisdom? And Rehoboam wasn't. I just wanted you to see that picture of this is what follows Solomon. All can, right? can I just ask then? So we, it's been kind of groaning throughout this passage. Like it's just been asking where, where is the justice? Where is the comfort? Where is true relational unity? Where is, uh, like we see someone who listens to good advice in 13 through 16, but even that kingdom passes away. So like 
there's this longing for justice and comfort and relationship and, and investing in something that will last. So where, where is that? So we, we live in a world that's desperately looking for it, right? We, we build virtual worlds um, where we can try to create it. Any, any Minecraft players in the room? Come on, you can own it. Nobody. I got one in the kitchen. Thank you. Minecraft. You know what it is, right? I hope you do, because my illustration is going to completely collapse if you don't. A guy named Marcus Person created Minecraft, right? It is this virtual world where you can build anything and then just destroy it and start over. Like, it, it is the definition of Ecclesiastes, basically. Everything's meaningless. It doesn't matter. I'll build this thing and just destroy it and then rebuild it again. It's because it doesn't matter. So Marcus Person sells Minecraft to Microsoft. Get ready. For $2.7 billion. 